Glad you guys are here as well. Hopefully you will be blessed uh, by all that we have in this service for you. Um, I'm going to call us to worship by reading Psalm 98, verse 4 through 6, to kind of help focus our mind and help focus our hearts on the Lord this morning. So let me read this for you. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. A lyre is a stringed instrument, by the way. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. And can I insert handbell choir right there? I think, I think so. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. And that's what we get the opportunity to do this morning. So allow this piece to bless you. It's called Joyful Rhythm. I hope the joy of the Lord is filling you this morning. Let's stand together and sing. Sing it together. I believe in the sun. I believe in the 
chosen one I believe I overcome by the power of his blood Your grace 
grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, and where you wonderful. Well, good morning. My name is Becky Beiser, and I am so delighted that you're with us today. If you're a guest with us here at University Baptist Church, thank you for choosing to be here today. Uh, you can actually fill out a guest welcome card, and that is in your pew, or if you are tech savvy and like to use your cell phone, you can text uh, as you'll see in the worship guide at the bottom, the word guests to 817-952-5383. And then we can know who is here and know that you are with us. And we just are so delighted that you chose to be with us today. I also want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And I hope that you got the little gift that was given out by our third through sixth graders this morning. Thank you for helping us third through sixth graders. What a wonderful surprise as we came into church this morning. I also wanted to see if we have some folks that are a little bit sore from moving pews yesterday. Raise your hand if you're a little bit sore from moving some pews. If you can get your arm up, okay, gotcha. I know, yes. Well, thank you all for your work that you did because it looks really nice in here. I think there's some pictures showing. They worked really fast. You can tell why they're so tired. I know. <laughs> Look at that. I know. So thank you all so much for, uh, for all your work yesterday of getting the pews back in so we could be here this morning. I also uh, want to uh, take your attention to the worship guide. Tomorrow here in the sanctuary at 530, we have the Van Cliburn concert going on. It's a piano concert. So if you'd like to come, bring your friends. 
everyone is welcome. And I think it's even angled for special need kids. So bring them tomorrow. We'd love to have you here. Also, next Sunday, um, Sunday evening at 5, we're going to have the Children's Choir Musical, which should be great fun. It is all about the call. And so evidently they're going to use some cell phones in there and to have some fun going on, right? So that'll be a great time. Um, if y'all would join me in prayer this morning, and we're just delighted that you're here with us. Father, I just thank you so much for what a beautiful day it is today to come here into your house and worship you. Father, I just pray that you'd help our hearts to, um, to seek you this morning. Father, as we sing songs and as we hear the word given by Jeremiah, Father, I pray that you would just transform us to look more like you every day. That's what we want. Father, that we can be your light into the world Monday through Saturday when we leave here. Father, I pray that you would just empower us. And thank you for this, this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome the children to come up here with Miss Tricia. And then if you would stand and greet those around you, we're just delighted that you're here with us today. Thank you. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats and have a seat. And Trisha Ryan is going to lead us in our children's message this morning. Thank you. Everybody is so excited to see everybody else. And so they, I think they kind of forget that we're still having service. Huh? No, I think it's great. I love, I love the time that we can meet and we can um, gather together and fellowship with one another. What is so, can y'all look at me? Actually, everybody look out, find your mom and wave, or your grandma or your aunt or whatever. Okay, everybody wave back. All right, we got that taken care of. Okay, now everybody look at me. James, can you look at me? All right, so what's today? Mother's Day. So I hope that every one of you brought either your mom or your grandma or your aunt to church today. I hope you all did. Not one, of them. Not one of them. I noticed your dad brought you, right? Have a seat, Josiah. All right, so I want you guys to think about what is so special about the women in your life. And then I want you to tell me, name one thing that is special about your mom or your grandma or your aunt or somebody special. Abigail, what's one thing? 
is kind to me. Kind. I like that. Everett, say it real loud. She's the best mom in the world. <laughs> best mom. That only moms and girls can have babies. That is a special way that God designed. Only moms and girls can have babies. That is special about them. That is right. What else? What else? Raina, tell me real loud. <sighs> My mommy snuggles with me is what Raina said. Moms are good snugglers. What about you, Conrad? She reads to you. I love that you have special things. All right, Hadley, what's one thing special about your mom? Creative. She's creative. What about you, Charlotte? She cooks for you. I love that you guys have some special things about your mom. And when we think about ways that our moms are special, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the way God is special. And why I put those two things together is because when God created people, he created moms, and he created grandmoms, and he created aunts, and he created the special women in our life. And all of those good things that you said about your moms, them being special and creative, them being kind, and they care because they read to you, those are things that God shows that he is good, right? And if God created moms in his own image, that means that God is also creative and kind and caring and special, which I love. I think that that's really important. So today, when you go back to go sit with your special people that came with you, I want you to make sure that you thank them, give them a big old hug, and then I want you to remember to thank God for his goodness because he provided you with those special women in your life, okay? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you today that we can celebrate the special women in our life, that there are many women who are here today, that they are moms and grandmoms, that they are aunts, that they are friends, and that they are mentors. We pray that your blessing would be on each one. Thank you that you've brought us here today, that we can worship you because you are good and you are kind and you are creative. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and that we can um, serve you through our offerings that are going to be given now in a few minutes. And thank you just for being faithful. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
love the message of that song, quite enough hope, quite enough power. Well, let's stand together, and we're going to sing about God's mercy. And uh, as we sing, Josh here is going to lead us in this song. The ground is 
darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you, Matt, Josh, Sarah, Brad, Sam, Sarah, all of y'all for your wonderful leadership, choir. Love it. Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Let me be the first one, or well, I guess I'm not the first one at this point. Let me, let me go ahead and begin, though, I think only appropriately by saying happy Mother's Day to each of you that are here today. We're excited to have you with us. As you heard Becky announce earlier, we did have these Little bath bombs made available as a, as a little token of our appreciation. Hopefully you got those as you walked into the service. That's for any female, honestly. Uh, and so if you missed those, we want to encourage you to get one at the conclusion of the service. Uh, we're we're going to make them available in Harris Hall, which is kind of down our magnificent mile down there as you leave today. And the other reason I would encourage you to go there is because we also have some backdrops set up uh, for you to take some picture, pictures with your family. You got all dressed up. I'm actually wearing a tie today. How about it? Right? It's for mom. Okay, and so uh, go and take advantage of the occasion. We don't have a photographer for you. I don't want to mislead you, but use your phone, ask the people next to you, snap some photos before you leave. There's some refreshments down there as well. Uh, but all of that is designed for us to, to celebrate moms today. And, and we feel like it's appropriate to celebrate moms because we believe that God has designed the family, right? In fact, one of our key convictions here at UBC is that this is a place that families are valued. And, and we see that throughout the pages of Scripture that this was God's plan. When he made male and female and brought them together as one flesh, he, he saw in his infinite wisdom and creation that children would need both father and mother, which is why we see other places in the Scriptures that the children arise and call her blessed, right? I mean, this is a constant portrayal within the Scriptures that, that we want to celebrate families. And so uh, we celebrate with you today, but we also acknowledge that families take on many different sizes and shapes and go through many different seasons. And, and so we want to acknowledge all the folks that, that are experiencing Mother's Day, Mother's Day today because we know that it might mean different things to each of you. 
So if you are a mom, right, you're in the, the, the journey of motherhood, whether that means you're doing the, the late night feedings, getting up in the middle of the night, or you're trying to navigate through elementary, junior, high, high school, college seasons of life, maybe your children are already into adulthood, uh, maybe you've actually been able to experience what it means to be a grandmother, even a great-grandmother. If you're a mom at all, we are so grateful for you and, and so uh, grateful for the way that you pour into your family. We also acknowledge that, that some of the, the women here today have embraced motherhood through the journey of adoption and have experienced just this, this biblical call to pursue that and even the complexities come with it. And, and we celebrate that decision. We celebrate that journey. And, and we walk with you in those complexities and want to celebrate those that have embraced motherhood through adoption. Uh, we know that some of you here today might be expecting, right? You're in the midst of pregnancy and, and you're in that journey of joy and celebration, looking forward to what that might uh, be on the other side of that pregnancy. And so again, we celebrate with you, we walk with joy in you in that season. But we also need to start this morning and acknowledge that for others, uh, Mother's Day can be difficult, Right, that perhaps there's some of you that are in here who have always wanted to be a mom, and you're not, for a variety of different reasons. And that has evoked a certain longing and a certain heartache that you didn't know existed. And we want you to know that we too see you and we walk with you in that longing. You're not alone in that. Some of you, you're here today, and, and yes, you're, you're celebrating Mother's Day, but it also comes with a level of grief and sadness because your mom's no longer with you. And you've lost your best friend. And so there's some grieving that takes place on a day like today. And so again, we, we do celebrate with you, but we also grieve with you. And perhaps there's some of you in here today who have never had the opportunity to know your mom. For all these different reasons that that relationship was stripped from you. And so now there's these, these voids within your life. There's perhaps these wounds that you desire to continue to have healed. And if that's you, we want to be part of that healing process with you. So regardless of where you are, regardless of what shape and size your family has taken on today, we, we celebrate with you, we walk with you. And the reason we do that is because we believe that all those experiences, regardless of how they've unfolded, have led us to a point to remind ourselves that all of us are God's children. And while we come here to celebrate moms, we prepare our hearts to worship the King. And so let's pray as we go to his word. Father in heaven, we do take this time to be grateful for all the seasons of life, whether they are joyful or difficult, because we know that in the, in the peaks and in the valleys, they draw us closer to you. And that's what we long for today, Father, that you would draw us closer to your heart, that we would truly listen to your word and pursue you with a radical obedience and love and devotion it reveals you in all seasons and all circumstances. Father, thank you for your precious and holy word. May it now be living and active so that it would enrich us and stir us to live more faithfully for you. We pray this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 1. So last week, we started a new series, okay? And I want to kind of clarify again a little bit of the expectations that I lined out for you last week is that we're going to take a little bit of a different pace with Jonah. Historically, when we've gone through a book of the Bible, I've kind of defaulted to more of a chapter per week approach. Uh, and and the, the reason for that was to kind of highlight main ideas and themes, but I felt the need to deviate from that approach with this series and to be much more methodical and intentional. 
So, for example, last week we just went through the first two verses as an introduction. Today we're only going to be in verse 3. And, and so part of what I'm trying to get you to see is uh, buckle up. We're going to be here for a while, okay? Not today, necessarily. Don't worry. You're still going to get your lunch, all right? I just mean in the series, all right? We're going to take our time as we go through Jonah. And, and so uh, I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there thinking, man, nothing says Mother's Day like a dude getting swallowed by a whale, right? I mean, it just fits with the holiday, doesn't it? But, but there is a bit of a connection for you, okay? Um, last week we saw the word of the Lord being spoken to Jonah, and today... That leads us to see how does he respond. And so much of today's message centers around this question of obedience, right? And what does obedience look like? And so if there was ever a demographic in the room that understands what it's like to say something and not have people respond as you want them to, it's moms. Am I right? Can I get an amen to that, right? I mean, moms understand the value of obedience and disobedience, and whether it's the husband or the children, right? They all understand it on some Level And so we're going to take a look at Jonah's uh, first three verses here and kind of see how does Jonah respond to the word of the Lord. So let's pick up in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. All right, here's, here's what we see. Just a quick recap of the introduction last week. The book of Jonah starts with the word of the Lord, right? It has arrived. It's Devar Yahweh. It's this reminder that God reveals himself through his spoken word. And the fact that we see it referred to as Yahweh reminds us that this is God's sacred name, a name that reveals his character a name that reveals that he is a covenantal God, a God that is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. So when he speaks, it should remind us of his character, right? And so that's part of what we're trying to anticipate here is to see who this God is. Well, we spent some time looking at verse 2 last week to really understand what it is that God has said. And we offered a, a, a little different translation than what you see in the NIV there, right? A more complete translation than we offered last week was that God would say, rise up and go to the important city of Nineveh, informing them that their troubles have not escaped my notice. Right? This, this is a translation that we suggested last week because it seems to present a little bit more of a picture of God's heart. Right? That he sees Nineveh as important, that he longs for them to, to be rescued from their troubles. In fact, the mere fact that God is sending a prophet to Nineveh suggests that he's hopeful they'll repent. Right? He's hopeful that they'll be saved. And so this is what has presented this, this word to Jonah. And so now we get a chance to see how does Jonah respond. And verse 3 makes a very clear picture right out of the gate. Right, Jonah runs from the Lord. Okay? It's, a, it's a verse of disobedience. So here's how I want us to go about this message today. I kind of want us to look at it in this, this simple progression. First, I want us just to understand some of the details of verse 3. Okay, We're just going to quickly highlight a, a few of the details, and then I want us to ask ourselves two pretty critical questions. The, the first one is, since we know Jonah is disobeying and he's running from the Lord, let's ask ourselves, how is he choosing to do it? There, there's a lesson to be learned in, in the methodology that he utilizes to disobey. So I want us to talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll end by also considering why. Why, why is he disobeying? What can we infer at this point in the story in terms of why Jonah is choosing to run from the Lord. Okay, so, so let's start with understanding verse 3. That, that undeniable beginning, Jonah runs away from the Lord. 
It's a word that means to flee, to escape. In, in the 66 times that it's used in the Old Testament as a verb, almost every time it is used to refer to a person that is running from a place or an enemy. Now, now that's not to infer that Jonah sees God as an enemy. Right? That's not what he sees. But, but it does show us the passion with which this word is being rejected. Okay, Joseph is an anomaly, right? This is a really significant story because he's the only prophet in the Old Testament on record to actually disobey the word of the Lord, right? So this is a message of, of blatant disobedience. And there are things that we're gonna see about it as we walk through it. Now, where does he decide to run to? He decides to run to Tarshish, okay? Say that five times real fast, okay? Trust me, it's hard. Um, he runs to Tarshish. Now, there's some debates in terms of what this is referring to. There, there are two options. Uh, one could be that it's an actual city. Okay, there were, there were several coastal towns on the Mediterranean that were often uh, referred to as Tarshish or a name similar to that, and they were often mining towns. And so this is why you see in other parts of the scripture these ships from Tarshish that would take these, these metals, these ores or whatever, and, and move back and forth through these port cities. Okay, so it's a, it's a reasonable conclusion to say he's going to one of these coastal cities. Another option that I kind of lean towards is driven more from the Aramaic that was used in, in this particular verse, where Tarshish might just mean the sea. He's just gone out to the open sea. Now, I, don't, I don't know that the destination holds too much bearing on our understanding of this word, but it does uh, give us a sense that regardless of what he's doing, he's moving away. Now, he leaves through Joppa. Right? We're going to talk more about Joppa here in a little bit, but he goes through this coastal town in Israel through Joppa, and then what does he do? He finds a boat, finds a crew, pays a fare. He, he sets sail, right? He gets on a ship and he leaves. Here's, here's what I want you to see from the details of verse three. God says, go to Nineveh, okay? Nineveh's to the east. To, to get on a boat means you go to the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean was to the west. This, this is the complete opposite direction, okay? He is, he is absolutely disobeying God in a complete 180 rejection of what he's asking to do. Right now, this is, this is something that I think we should acknowledge because a lot of times when we disobey God, right, when we refuse to respond to his call, a lot of times we camouflage our disobedience, right? We, we kind of rationalize it a little bit. We, we kind of maybe do partial obedience as if there was such a thing, right? And so what we fall into is kind of this lukewarm application to God's word. And so while I don't condone what Jonah is doing here, one of the things that I would at least acknowledge is that at least he's, at least he's clear, right? This is outright, he, he's not lukewarm. And so we're gonna take a look at what do we learn from his disobedience? Make no mistake, the main message in verse three, because it's repeated twice, is this phrase that he's out to see away from Yahweh. Okay, that, that's the description of verse three. And I wonder how many of you would say that you are in a season of life like that right now or have been there before where you look at your life and it just feels like, man, I'm just out to sea away from the Lord? All these different things that could lead to that sort of experience. So when we begin to talk about our response to the word of the Lord or our response of obedience, what we begin to see throughout this message is that we really just have one of two directions in which we can go. We're either gonna run away from the Lord or we're gonna press into him. And so I ask you, regardless of which season that you're in, good or bad, how would you define the momentum of your life? Are you running away or are you pressing in? That's the question we need to wrestle with today. And when we really get to 
to see it more by, I think, asking these questions of, of how has Jonah chosen to run away from the Lord? What was his methodology? Okay, now to, to kind of walk through this question, here, here's, here's the thing we need to ask ourselves. Why is he getting on a boat anyway? Like, like he could disobey this word and stay at home. Right? He could stay in Israel and still refuse to go to Nineveh. So, so why get on a boat? What's significant about the how of how he's choosing to disobey God? What's significant about the fact that he's chosen to get on a boat and get out on the ocean? What do we learn from that? See, what we see is that Jonah has decided that the only way that he can avoid the word of the Lord is to actually remove himself from God's people. In order for him to escape this, this reality, this call, he needs to withdraw from those that worship Yahweh. Right? Now, his logic is not that irrational because according to all that he would have seen and known at this point in time is what? God speaks through the prophets. God reveals himself through Israel. Those are his chosen people. And so if he wants to remove himself from the Lord and the Lord's word, he needs to remove himself from this community. We see that even by the fact that he chose to go to Joppa. Hey, Joppa was, was in Palestine, and it was an area that had not yet been annexed by, by Israel, okay? And so by going to Joppa, he's going to find people that are going to have boats and ships that are not Israelites. He is trying to surround himself with people that are not a part of God's chosen community. Now, that's a lesson for you and I, isn't it? That one of the things that opens us up and makes us susceptible to disobedience is when we remove ourselves from the community of God's people. And we do this all the time, don't we? Right? When we, when we limit those sorts of opportunities to have meaningful accountability in our life, it, it limits our ability to truly be obedient, doesn't it? Now, we, we strive for community. We love to have people to hang out with. Like, we love to fellowship and, and have things to do. But do you really have somebody in your life that knows you, knows what's going on, knows what God's asking you to do, that can, that can speak those heart truths in your life to make sure that he's spurring you on, he or she is spurring you on to love and good deeds? See, accountability is essential. And it will be a chief characteristic of what we do in terms of discipleship here. And so a lot of times we miss out on this because we treat church like an airplane. Let me explain what I mean. Okay, I was a missions pastor for however long, and so I used to have to travel all the time. And many of those flights would be international, and so you'd get on a plane for 12, 15 hours. And I'll be honest, y'all, this is not the best example to set as a minister, but there are so many times, like, I don't want to talk to people, right? Like, I'm, I'm not alone in that. You guys have been there. Like, you get on a plane, all you want to do is watch a movie, read a book, okay? And so you know how it feels when all of a sudden you sit down and you're next to a talker, right? And they just start asking all these questions, where are you from? What do you do? And you're just like, yeah, okay. And then you find yourself trying to like politely disengage, you start reading the Sky Mall magazine, you know, because yeah, I'm going to read this for a little bit. And if that doesn't work, put your headphones in. That really usually does the trick, right? And so a lot of times, I just, I don't want to have those conversations. And so an airplane is typically these people that are all going the same place, flying the same airline, but they don't really know each other. And they don't invite those sorts of conversations in. There's a lot of times that that's how we treat church. We show up, we're all like, hey, we're all going to the same place, flying the same airline, but, but we don't really know each other. We don't invite that meaningful dialogue into our life where we confess what's broken, what God's working on in our lives, or, or really speak that into others. Right? We have to foster that sort of accountability to be obedient. But, but I don't want to push too hard on that, because that would really be more the equivalent of if Jonah had stayed in Israel 
And all of his friends were like, hey man, you know God has told you to do this. But, but what he did, he left. That's what I want us to talk about for a moment. What, what you and I need to consider with today's message is that we live in a society and in a culture that is, that is saturated with Jonas. What I mean is people are leaving the church. Okay, let, let me offer for you a few statistics that we need to get our heads wrapped around, okay? Uh, Ed Stetzer used to do a bunch of research for Lifeway. Now he writes for Christianity Today. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorite um, authors that I, that I tend to read a bunch of. And, and he wrote this article in Christianity Today not too long ago and indicated that, that a majority of Americans, right, would identify as Christian. A majority of them would. But only 25%, 25% actually have any sort of demonstrative life that reflects Christian values meaning church attendance, prayer life, whatever it is, only 25%, which tells us we have a huge measure of nominality in our faith, right? Nominality meaning they're, they're Christian by name only. They, they claim to be Christian, but they don't actually live a Christian life. Now, here's what that's done. That's lent, uh, or has contributed to this really um, remarkable trend that we need to begin to take consideration of, okay? It's the, it's the increasing demographic of the nuns, okay? Now that's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. That'd be a whole different problem, all right? So, so the nuns is essentially, when you do these demographic studies that, that say, hey, what's your religious affiliation? And you, you select none. So, so here's what's happened. Baptist News has uh, released an article recently that in the 1990s, only 6% of American population would identify with no religious affiliation. In 2016, it was up to 35%. Okay, so... So nominal Christians in particular are leaving in droves. It is a steady incline. <clears throat> okay, now, now this is not something that's particular to generations, right? It is, it is uh, young and old, rich and poor, white, black, you name it. It's happening across all demographics. Now we see some specific trends within generations, okay? Uh, the millennial generation, for example. Millennials are those that were born from 1982 to 2000, I'm, I'm technically the oldest millennial that, that you could meet. And, and so the millennial generation, around 56% would identify as Christian, and what's concerning about that is that eight out of 10 of them grew up in church, All right? So th they're trending the wrong way. Here's what I'm saying, y'all. This is, this is an, such an important fact. The American church is having an incredibly limited impact on lostness and nominality. That fact is going to be what governs our vision and who we are. All right, listen, when, when you step into a church, whether you're a minister or you're a congregant, there are all these things that can kind of, we utilize to, to measure ourselves, things that we use as a barometer. And I just want to be very clear. A lot of times we tend to compare ourselves to other churches. And, and subtly we view them as competition as opposed to partners, and so we evaluate what's going on here based on what other churches are going to do. Can I just be very honest? We are not going to let what governs this vision, whether or not we are relevant and as applicable as the village, Watermark, or Christ Chapel. Those are good churches, great churches, honestly, doing amazing things. We're going to learn from them. We're going to partner with them and other churches like them. We're going to celebrate what God's doing. That will not be what governs our vision. What governs our vision is if you and I, this family of faith, are we having an impact on nominality and lostness. That's what we need to be after because what we need to wake up and see is that we live in a generation of Jonas. People that don't want to hear the word of the Lord and so they are running away from God's chosen people in his church. So that's the how. And, and there's some 
obvious lessons in that, but we also need to ask ourselves, why? Why is he running? What can we infer at this point, just three verses in, what, what would cause him to run away like this? Well, a couple of things that I would suggest. One would be fear, right? Think about it. In, in verse two, God himself refers to Nineveh as wicked, doesn't he? Right? And we talked about that last week, these evil things that are described in Nahum in particular. We reference several verses in the prophet Nahum that says Nineveh is full of blood and lies and plunder and endless cruelty, right? So there's a good chance that, that Jonah hears Nineveh and he's like, uh, no, thank you. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that based out of fear. That's another obstacle towards our obedience. How many things are we not doing because we're afraid? We're afraid to follow through with what the Lord is asking us to do, specifically these commands, these calls that he's put in our lives. And when I think about the different things that we often claim that we're fearful of, if I can be honest, a lot of times it just seems to syndicate that we're, we're afraid of losing our comfort, right? We wanna, we wanna curate our, our Christian lives to have a certain feel to it, a certain rhythm to it, so we'll give Sunday, we'll give Wednesday, we'll give these portion of the days, but as soon as those things become infringed upon, well, no, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know that I can give this up. Certain ideas, certain lifestyles, the minute that God's call might threaten how we spend our money, what careers we choose, the relationships we have, well, I don't, I don't know if that's one I wanna give up. Certain preferences that we have, right? we're fearful of losing those things, and, and we need some perspective. Right? I, was, I was fortunate enough this past week, uh, many of you know our brother Santos here and his family and, and the ways that they've blessed our congregation, and, and he has the, a, a connection to this amazing ministry on the other part of the world, and he had his colleague and friend and mentor in town this past week, Mr. Abraham Thomas, and had a chance to sit down with him and visit about all these amazing things this ministry is doing uh, over in India, and, and we're hopeful we're gonna give you guys opportunities to hear more of those things. But I would listen to, to Santosh and Abraham talk, and in the midst of all these things that God was doing, I'd hear comments like, well, but this, they had to leave in the middle of the night out of fear of the threats for their life. Or, or this missionary had to spend several days in ICU after a result of persecution. Right? Or this, this child actually lost their life because they were a follower. And I'd hear these stories, and I'd think, they're, they're unafraid. They're fearlessly committed to this gospel, and we're, we're, we're fearful because what? Because we may not like the way the music sounds? We're fearful because we may have to, like, see a program stop? Like we, may, we may have to change how we spend. That's our fear? And we, we need to go back sometimes and have this perspective to see what the church, the global church, is actually facing to have the appropriate perspective and recognize that what really governs us is what we saw in February with 1 John 4, right? That perfect love drives out fear. What compels us is not the fear of God's call, but the love of Jesus Christ. Our all-consuming love for him, that needs to be what governs our life and our measure towards obedience. So fear is a likely culprit towards Jonah's disobedience. Maybe it wasn't fear, maybe it was hatred, right? Part, part of what we have to recognize is that that Nineveh was not part of Israel, and a successful Assyria, a successful Nineveh was a threat to Israel. Jonah's known to be kind of this, this nationalist, right? This one that had tremendous Israeli pride. And so there's part of him that just hated the Ninevites, hated everything they stood for and what they were, wanted no part of it, didn't want to see them succeed. 
Now, we often don't use words like hatred so strongly, but again, that might be something that is leading towards our own disobedience, right? That there are certain people in our life that we just don't want to deal with. Sometimes it's individuals, people that have wronged us, and so we just build up this resentment, and we just let this grudge set in and say, well, I'm not going to have anybody, I'm not going to do anything with that person. And we forget that God is always calling us towards reconciliation. But we also have to acknowledge that a huge piece to what we see in the book of Jonah is the need for cross-cultural ministry, that God's heart is a heart for all peoples, right? That, that here's this moment where, where God is saying, yes, those people that look different than you, that think different than you, that worship different than you, yeah, I care about them. They're important to me. Go to them, right? And so how many times do we sit at home and we we look at things on the news and we move with this same pride and we see these other groups of people that maybe we don't agree with politically or we don't agree with how they dress or we don't agree with what they look like or we don't agree with what they worship and we have this resentment and this disdain and it limits us to pursuing God's heart and being obedient. So it could be this, this hatred, right, this disdain for others. But perhaps the other one that I, I think that we need to consider that we can infer in in the way that verse three is unfolding, is that another reason why Jonah's being disobedient is he's just thinking, not me. I mean, think about it, y'all. Jonah likely understands the truths of Psalm 139, doesn't he? Right, that that no matter where you go, you can't escape God's presence. Whether you go to the highest heights or to the depths of the sea, God is there. It's not as if Jonah really thinks he can escape God. And I'd also go so far as to say, I don't think Jonah feels like that he can thwart God's plan. I don't think he thinks, well, if I do this, if I leave, well, then Nineveh's gonna fall. I don't think that's necessarily what's going on in his mind. I think he's thinking, not me. Send someone else. If I leave Israel, if I leave this community, you'll raise some other prophet up and you can let them do it. I, don't, I want no part of this, just not me. How many times has that mentality plagued our churches? Right, where we, we hear God's call and we think, man, that, that could be important or maybe I disagree, so I'm just gonna let somebody else do it. Now, I'm not talking about those times when we, we think about, hey, will you serve on a committee? Right, will you show up in an event and you're like, oh, I'm busy, I'm not talking about that. I mean, let's get to the fundamental message of what we saw in verse two. Rise up, go, preach. How many of us hear a word like that and we think, man, that's, that's, that's scary, I'm not sure if I can do that, so not me. See, this not me mentality continues to to really kind of work its way into our churches to where then the church just becomes so inward focused that we almost become silent. And it's a cancer that's infecting how we react to those around us. Let's be honest. Here's the narrative, right? Again, a lot of these statistics are going to come from Stetzer and Christianity today. Here's the narrative, right? Don't don't talk about your faith because it's intrusive, right? It can be offensive. It, it comes across as judgmental. People don't want to talk about it, right? So just show your faith, right? Let them see your good deeds. Then maybe after enough potlucks and enough block parties, just by my osmosis, they'll figure out who Jesus is. Right? Just, just show it. That's the narrative. Here's the statistics. Did you know 78% of non-churchgoers would be willing to have a conversation about faith if someone asked them? 78%. Here's the more chilling statistic. 71% of non-churchgoers have said they've never had a one-on-one conversation where somebody's explained to them what it means to follow Jesus. This is not hard, y'all. The church has grown silent. 
And, and the way that we've done this is, is we've kind of just started using this spiritual language where we start talking about gifts, right? Well, that's just not my gift. Now, the Bible teaches about gifts, absolutely, right? There are those that have the gift of teaching, those that have the gift of hospitality, leadership, you name it. There are a lot of different gifts, but we sometimes mistake a gift for a command, right? This call to proclaim the gospel is not a gift that some people have. That is a command that we all share, right? This is not optional, right? Another article that was shared with me, Kyle Johnson, a member in our church, sent me this article that referenced the Barna Research recently has, has identified that 83% of churchgoers don't know or understand what the Great Commission is. So in case that's you, let's take a moment. The Great Commission is Matthew 28. It's the final instruction that Jesus gives to his followers. Okay, so if we're going to put some importance and significance on something, maybe the last words that Jesus has for his disciples might carry some significance. And so what does he say? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So if we're going to follow someone, if we're going to obey someone, how about we choose the one who has all authority of heaven and earth? And so what does he say? Go into all the world, into all nations, into all ethnic, all people groups, and make disciples. And you do this by baptizing them, meaning you're going to those that are lost, those that need repentance, those that need to make this confession of faith. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the voice of Jesus. That is not a gift that some people have. That is the responsibility of each and every one of us. That is the responsibility of the church. So, so when you hear that narrative creep into your mind, and you begin to sit there and you think to yourself, all right, this might be awkward to, to bring this up. They don't, they don't want to hear this. I don't know that I should share this or say this. This might be too offensive. Maybe I should just show things. I want you to ask yourself this question. When you hear that voice, is that the voice of the serpent or the king? Try to picture Jesus saying that in the Gospels. Well, okay, guys, but be careful. Don't, don't, don't talk about me too much. Right? Kind of ease into it. Take some time. Just show them what we're about. That is not the voice of our king. We cannot give in to the, Now, listen. We need to be smart. Okay? I'm not saying we just run out to the street corners and get the bullhorns and yell at people. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. Here's what we need to do. We need to understand the value of listening and knowing other people's stories. And being willing to take a risk and talking to them on a meaningful level. We have to get beyond this idea that someone else would do it. And that means don't just invite people to church. Now listen, please invite people to church. We'd love to have them. We'd love to meet them. Okay, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But, but that's not where your responsibility starts and stops. It means having conversations where you actually visit with a neighbor, you visit with a colleague, and you say, well, tell me, how do you understand spirituality? What do you think about faith? How do you view God? How do you make sense of pain? Where do you find hope and have the willingness to listen to what God's doing in their life and then appropriately share the gospel? That's what we need to do. That's the measure of obedience. Right? We can't give in to this idea that someone else will do it. That's going to be what governs this vision. Listen, y'all, we are not going to be a church that refuses to follow what God is asking us to do because we're afraid or because we hate others 
or because we think someone else is going to do it. Right? We're going to press into him, not drift away. Now, I want to conclude with this. I, I could obviously continue to, to talk about the, the challenges that we have with this, the pitfalls that we fall into, but I want to talk to you about what happens when it works. I want to inspire you a little bit. Okay? I want to encourage you what happens when we press into God's faithful call. I want to talk to you about our ESL ministry. Okay, so the ESL is English as a second language, all right? And this is a ministry that we have in our church that we have some wonderful volunteers that faithfully come Tuesday and Thursday morning and teach those who are trying to learn English, okay? Which means it's often a cross-cultural, international type of ministry. Okay, so this time last year, I sit down with the leadership and we're evaluating how things have gone. Okay, the the previous year had been good but but hard, okay? Just to, to be very frank, we had about four or five regular people coming to this ESL ministry. And, and there are meaningful relationships. It's not about numbers, but, but the leadership and myself were like, okay, well, maybe we need to rethink this. You know, maybe we need to do some things differently. Maybe we need to go offside or, or, or do something different. And to their credit, this leadership, some wonderful ladies and men said, you know what, let's, let's tweak one or two things and let's give it another go and let's see what happens. Okay, so fast forward a year. This past week, we had a little graduation ceremony for these ESL folks, these these people from different cultures and backgrounds coming to our church. And I've got a picture to show you what we took at this lunch. These are the folks that were here two days a week consistently throughout the school year in this church. And this picture doesn't tell the whole story because we went from five to on our rolls having around 65 coming to this church. Right? And, and praise God because what do you see in that picture? You see people of different Skin colors, different backgrounds, different countries, people that worship differently. And you know what's happening? They're not coming here and just learning English. You know what they're doing? They're, they're hearing about our God. They're hearing about his character, his nature, that he's loving, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's gracious, abounding in love, and slow to anger. And they're hearing about it through relationship and through friendship. Praise God for that. But let me tell you the story within the story. Okay, and this, this takes us back to 2012. Hey, many of you know Shane and Sherry Park, okay, members of our church who are currently serving overseas with the IMB. I can't go into details of where they are for their security. They were here this past fall recently too, so hopefully many of you got to meet them. But they were here in 2012 on a stateside assignment. And, and they were driven towards this sort of passion of God's heart, right, to reach out to the nations. And so they pursued it. They actually went to this apartment complex in Fort Worth known as Ladera Palms that is known to be a place just filled with folks from different countries and nations. And, and we know several others. In fact, there's a young couple in our church uh, that also live there to, to try to pursue these torts, sorts of relationships. Well, Shane and Sherry, they were here in 2012. They went to Ladera Palms and they fostered a friendship with a family there, a, a family that was in that picture. And, and so they, they kind of had this, this beginning to this relationship that led to meals being shared in different apartment complexes and talking about all the different things that had happened in their lives and different faith backgrounds uh, and represented in these conversations. And in that dialogue, Shane and Sherry heard that this family were these refugees from Sudan. And they heard about all this tragedy, all these things that these, these, this family had had to go through. And it, and it just ripped them apart. The sadness and all that they had to feel in that conversation, that friendship led towards Sherry beginning to study what does it mean to be someone that can provide counseling in trauma situations. So for the next several years, she starts doing this trauma counseling training, and that is what has led them to go where they are now, where their consistent ministry is to minister to refugees in other parts of the world. That call 
was ignited in those conversations in that apartment. And in addition to that, that refugee family saw in Shane and Sherry this, this love, this compassion. They heard about this gospel. They were introduced to this church. And so this past fall, they brought them up here on Wednesday nights. They brought them up here for ESL. And guess what? That family was catalytic to bringing so many others with them. This is what happens when we press into God's call. It ignites things within us that change our trajectory. It ignites things in others where now this family has a constant opportunity to hear about the character of our God. Praise the Lord for this sort of devotion. This is what happens when we're obedient. It's things that are amazing, things that are marvelous, that we can stand in awe of. So my grandmother was really close to me. I've told you guys about that before. I had a a special relationship with her. And so uh, one of the things that made that so unique was that when I was younger, you know, my mom worked. And uh, so my grandmother and my grandfather would often pick me up from school. And, and they'd take me home uh, to their house. And my grandmother loved to play games. And so I'd spend the early part of my afternoons playing games with my grandmother. Uh, games like card games like Kings on the Corner or board games like Candyland. Can I get an amen? Right? Candyland. Great game. Um, and then one game that she taught us a lot, which was designed to, to help us know how to respond when spoken to, uh, not just politely, but, but to learn obedience, was the classic children's game, Mother May I. Anybody here ever played Mother May I? And so in case you haven't ever played, here's how it works. Right? We would go out into my grandmother's backyard. She'd stand on one end, and, and, and I'd stand on the other. And the whole concept is that the mother figure, in my case, my grandmother, would offer a command to the child. All right, take two giant steps forward, and you take two giant steps forward. Okay, take three Small steps forward, three small steps forward. And bit by bit, you're working your way to get closer and closer to your mom, right? And the first child there, once you're there, you win. That's the goal. The catch is that if at any moment uh, before you move, if you fail to say, mother, may I, you go back to the beginning, right? So it's this whole lesson of obedience, and it paints this picture that no matter what, you're either moving closer or you're running away. That's the whole option. It's only those two things. And so it was such an important game as a child because you know what? There were many lessons and many qualities that my mom was going to teach me. Many words that she would offer to me. My mom's here today and I, I could take all the time allotted in this sermon and then someone, I wouldn't have enough time to tell you how much she's taught me. Right? She's taught me the value of hard work, the value of education. She's taught me the importance of integrity and honesty. Right? Taught, taught me that family is so important. Blood is thicker than water. Show me what it means to, to care for someone. Show me what it means to, to nurture someone and love someone. All these characteristics that she was trying to instill in me. And what was so neat was that I got to see my grandmother and recognize all the things she was teaching me. She had learned from her mom. And I could literally see it move from generation to generation. And so the more that I listened to the words spoken to, to me from my mom, and the more I obeyed those things, not only did it influence who I was, but it helped convey who I belonged to. And so everything that we see in this journey of verse 3 is that we have one or two options when we get to respond to the Lord. We either press in or we run away. And the more we press in, the closer we get to the Father's heart. And the more we begin to reveal not just who we are, but who we belong to, that we belong to Yahweh, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love.
And the more we press into him, the more we get to reveal to this world all the amazing things he can do. That all would want to stand in awe and say, how marvelous, how wonderful is this God. But that only comes through obedience. So where are you in life? Are you running away? Or are you pressing in? May we all run to him with our whole hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We confess there are so many times in our life where we drift out to sea, away from you. Father, forgive us for those tendencies, forgive us for those moments, and help us wherever we are today to run to you. Father, that we could passionately respond to this call to go, to rise up, and to preach and proclaim what Jesus has done. May we never give in to fear. May we never detach ourselves from the community that you've placed us in. May we never give in to resentment and hatred. May we never give in to this idea that you can do this through someone else. May we all be compelled by love to press into you. Father, I know that there are folks in our, in our sanctuary today that are hurting. And no matter how hard they've tried, it feels like they're still at sea away from you. So Father, I pray that you would call them to yourself. Father, that you would reveal to them that even there you're with them. That they can't escape you. They can't escape your unfailing love. So Father, if we can do that collectively as your church, may we have more stories to tell, more things to celebrate, because we've listened to the voice of our King. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Well, as we conclude today, I want to offer a time of response. You know, there, there are numerous ways that you can respond, and, and I go over these every week. Um, and so for those of you that perhaps are new, I just want you to know that if, if you need prayer for anything in your life, this is a time where we want to be able to pray for you. And so you can come forward, and, and you can pray with myself or another minister here on our staff. Uh, we want to make that option available to you. Um, if you want to join the church, then, then that's a time where you can make that decision public. You don't have to do it this way. Uh, but it is something to celebrate, and, and we, we celebrate those opportunities that if this is a church you want to call home, then let's do that, and we can celebrate that with you. But most importantly, right, if you've given your life to uh, a religion, you've given your life to a moral code, and you haven't truly just entrusted yourself to the hope of the gospel, then don't wait another moment. And if that's something you need to do, then, then do it in the quietness of your heart. Come forward, and let's celebrate that decision. But regardless of where you are in life, Let's respond. Take this moment not to run away and to drift out to sea, but to press into our King. Let us as a church stand and celebrate who he is and see how amazing and wonderful our God truly is in our world. Would you stand together and let's sing. Let's sing together. And I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be 
took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. And he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Your voices and sing, singing will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love wonderful thing to celebrate. You guys can stay standing. Uh, just a few quick announcements before I offer a word of benediction. Again, uh, I would encourage you to make your way to Harris Hall. In fact, I love to visit with all of y'all, um, and I tend to stand right here to do that. I want to do that today. I just want to do it in Harris Hall, because I want to take a picture with my family, and so I'm going to ask all of you to kind of migrate that way, but if you're a guest and a visitor, I'd love to meet you down there. Uh, don't forget to look for those bath bombs. If you didn't get one, men, try not to steal them, all right? Let the ladies grab them first. Uh, Van Cliburn concert tomorrow night. We would love for you to be here. It is uh, specifically designed for any children with special needs, but all kids, all families are welcome. And so if you're available, come and join us for this special concert. And uh, we look forward to the children's musical next week and all the things that God will do in between. And so with that being said, let me offer a final prayer of benediction. Father, as we leave, may we do so with those who have hearts that are ready to press into you, never to drift off to sea, no matter what we face, may we run to you with whole heart, soul, and mind that we would be able to declare to this world how marvelous, how wonderful is the Savior's love. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. It's great to see you all. Have a wonderful week.
Are you talking about just like on all the songs? What? Are you talking about singing harmonies like on all the songs? 